And welcome back to the Twins Wrap. Derek Hansen with you along with the television voice of the Minnesota Twins, Dick Bramer. And Twins coming off a loss last night. Dick, it just seems like there's a weird, when the Twins lose, it's the same formula of getting a few runs early, then the uh, pitcher for the other team settles down, then they can't overcome that and they can't just hit that uh, knockout blow. Yeah, and for some reason it's happening more at home than on the road. The Twins have lost, what, six out of their last seven home games, which is odd for a team with the fourth-best record in baseball, but uh, that's what happened last night. Twins looked like they were ready to knock uh, Ivan Nova out early, and then uh, Kyle Gibson uh, had his you know typical one bad inning, and uh, then the Twins were fighting from behind the rest of the way, and Nova found something to, that got him through the middle inning. So we'll see what happens tonight. That is frustrating because Kyle Gibson, outside of a couple pitches, I thought actually pitched pretty well. Yeah, I, one of the things I like to look at is were there any, and if so, how many, one, two, three innings, which gives you a pretty good barometer as to how uh, much in control of the strike zone and how much in control of the game a pitcher was. And Kyle was, except in that third inning. You know, a couple of singles here with one out, and then two out, and then a single and a home run and a really poor pitch uh, to uh, Abreu with John Jay in the on-deck uh, circle who has not hit a home run this year. Uh, just, you know, uh, as I, my partner on the air last night, Roy Smalley, said you really got to be careful with Abreu because he can hurt you and uh, you could hardly exhale and Abreu had hurt Gibson. So one of those innings that uh, Kyle wish he, uh, wishes he could have back. It's funny, uh, the former Twins, they were on it last night because I was driving home, and, I, and Dan Gladden said almost the same thing, this guy's dangerous, and then <laughs> Cookie right down the middle. So those guys have seen a few pitches in their life, and they, they called that one. That, that's one pitch you can't make to a guy like that. Well, and I, you know, first thing I do when I get to the ballpark is as soon as the lineups are available, uh, I write down the lineup in my score sheet, and so, okay, you got Garcia and then Abreu, and then you look at cleanup, John Jay, and I thought, well, now how many home runs has he hit? And he hadn't hit any, and I thought, well, what kind of protection does he give Abreu in the lineup, and why would anybody pitch to Abreu with the guy who's a fine singles hitter but no power at all? And then wouldn't you know it, second time through the order, that situation uh, you know, Kim comes up and uh, Gibson and the Twins didn't handle it particularly well as based on the result and, you know, wish they could have handled it differently. Is that a situation where maybe the, the catcher and, and Gibson aren't on the same page? Where, you know, one of those things where they just uh, maybe looking back on it, they he maybe shouldn't have shaken him up. I don't know how that works. I mean, it's got to be a thing where both uh, the members of the battery are frustrated. Well, I can only imagine, of course, what it's like to be uh, on the mound in front of, we have 25,000 people there last night, a big viewing audience, big listening audience, and what it can, what it must be like to be behind the plate. But if you're catching, I can imagine you don't want the pitcher to throw anything that he's not going to throw with absolute conviction. So you make a suggestion, and if the pitcher shakes you off, well, I'm okay, then he must feel differently about something. And uh, you, you, you want, I'm sure of this, you want the pitcher to throw the pitch he believes in, not what you think should happen. And then you hope the results, um, you know, support what ultimately the, the decision is. And I don't know, frankly, whether Gibson shook off Castro or not, but if he did, then obviously that was not the right choice. No, that's for sure. Uh, Michael Pineda back tonight. And I thought his last outing was pretty good. And 
You mentioned this before in our conversations. He's been one of the most consistent pitchers since about June or so, so it would be nice if he can get back in this groove. Yeah, and the one thing he's done such an extraordinary job of is the the one thing that Kyle Gibson did not do last night, and that is avoid the big inning. You look at uh, Michael Starts, and they're usually you know five, six innings, one or two runs, maybe three, but you don't see many four spots put up in his starts. And so, you know, that's what the Twins are hoping for tonight. I think they feel that they should be able to score some runs tonight against the Chicago staff. And, uh, you know, if as long as you don't give up that big inning, I, I like the Twins' chances of winning again uh, tonight. You know, it's interesting. Uh, you mentioned the big inning with Gibson, and then there were some longer innings too. And part of it's because I don't know what's happened since just a little bit before the All-Star break, but – they're kicking the ball around a lot more. This is, you know, and they were so precise. I thought defensively early in the season, but they have made some weird uh, throws over to first base and just a few errors that they just shouldn't and normally don't have. Well, yeah, it's averaging now lately about one error a game, and that's not um that's not good, and it's unlike what we saw the first two months of the year. So I don't know how you turn that around. Uh, you know, Polanco's throws from short have been uh, you know, all over the place. Uh, Arise had a fairly routine ground ball, and and he didn't feel that. We've had errors in the outfield. Uh, it has not been championship caliber uh, defensive play. I know that, and that's something that uh, if the Twins are going to get in the playoffs, they're going to have to really tighten up. Well, it's something Rocco Baldelli met- mentioned. He liked to have rest. If you're going to take batting practice, go ahead. You don't have to uh, infield. I mean, is has there been more of an eff- emphasis on that since we've seen them boot the ball around a little bit more? Well, they'll take um, targeted fielding practice, I think is what they call it, before batting practice. Sometimes if there's an area that they feel needs to be addressed, well, then they'll have a player at that position working on things. But you brought up a good point because now here we are getting into the back end of August and soon we'll be in September. And this is the time of the year when this, you know, making sure that the players get their rest, you don't overexert them early uh, in the hopes that come now, you know, 35, 40 games left to play that the players are not fatigued. They won't get hurt and they'll be sharper down the stretch because of it. So we'll have to wait and see how this plays out. So far, the results have been pretty encouraging. The twins hitters survived the heat in Texas, scored a lot of runs in Texas, but now is when uh, this, this new age thinking really hopefully will benefit the twins and the players, a will stay healthy and B will, uh, you know, be able to uh, have as productive uh, weeks at the end of the season that they did in the, at the front of the season. You mentioned the heat. You know, I'm half Norwegian, half uh, German, more or less. A little other things sprinkled in, I guess, if I'm going to be honest. But uh, you and I were at Wrigley last year, some of the hottest weather I've ever been through when the Twins faced the Cubs. And I was there as a fan, and Max Kepler had to leave the game just not feeling right, and same thing the other day. So it's obvious I know why my ancestors moved to the upper Midwest here. They just don't like the heat. Well, I've I've said it on the air, and I've, I've told it to, to people privately. I, I would much rather have 20 below weather than what we had in Texas. And uh, it's no small accomplishment to get through that series and not have a pulled hamstring. Kepler did have to come out of the game because of heat-related illness. Last year in Chicago, Eddie Rosario came out in the middle of an inning. Bobby Wilson almost passed out in the batter's box uh, and had no recollection that he walked and later scored a run that inning after the game. 
Wow. It's a very dangerous thing. Uh, it's not something to be taken lightly. And the players, I can promise you, are just, and even the ones who are from the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico and, and Florida, wherever, I can promise you they're all just looking to survive the game. I don't think the quality of play is particularly good. I think in the late innings throughout the Texas series, we saw weariness and a lack of sharpness in the field uh, during the at-bats on the mound. Uh, so, you know, we're all ridiculed up here for playing baseball with the temperatures in the 30s, but and that's an inconvenience, uh, to be sure, with outdoor baseball here this time of the year. But it really is a serious health hazard to play baseball in that heat. And thankfully, at least in Texas, we won't be doing that again. They'll be moving into their new ballpark next year, and it's got a retractable roof. And they tell us air conditioning. Yeah. Well, you mentioned it's a beautiful ballpark there that sadly is going to be torn down, but it is going to be a necessity, isn't it? Well, that's the reason. they they. I remember years ago when they were about ready to open that ballpark, I interviewed the team president and asked him about not having a roof on, joking about a Minnesotan coming down and, and having to sit in the heat. And he laughed and he said, well, uh, for our fan experience, we, we wanted to have an open-air ballpark and an open-air experience for the for the fans. Well, that didn't last uh, as long as he thought because ultimately they're replacing a perfectly good ballpark uh, with a brand new one simply because it didn't have a roof. Let's uh, talk a little bit about – it's kind of interesting. I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but I was – there's been a lot of talk about the strike zone. You and I have talked about that quite a bit, and – of course, your TV broadcasts have the little box there, and and I know there's been criticism whether or not it's really you know relates to the batter if they're too tall, maybe it should be a little bit longer, or whatever. But it it certainly has been a moving strike zone again. I, I, what's your take on that? And you know we, we've had so much talk about the computer umpire out there, but I, is it? Do you think that they're looking over their shoulder a little bit too much as well? I don't know because they're graded on a on a system not identical to the one we use on on TV, but very similar to it. They're graded, but all you have to do is look at the, the hitters reactions and occasionally the catchers reactions, because the one thing that the, you know, electronic strike zone that we use on TV, that the umpires are graded on the players use that too, to reinforce and refine their individual strike zone. And the last couple of games have been, just awful, in my opinion, in terms of uniformity and consistency of the strike zone. And and, the, and a player, I can promise you now, will with they've been called out or within their at-bat, a strike was called that they felt was a ball, they have the means and certainly the desire to check that almost immediately. And it confirms what their belief of the strike zone is. The umpires are graded on it, and it's not – been good at all lately and it's it's been bad for both teams this isn't somebody complaining that the twins lost to the white Sox last night because of, of a poor strike zone it just really needs to get better and with this technology we're at the brink now where the umpires can't be helped any more than they're already being helped in terms of establishing what you know what their grade was what percentage of Balls they called were balls and strikes, etc. So we can't take the next step until we go to the electronic strike zone. And my guess is what we've seen this year around baseball will make that happen sooner rather than later. 
I'm glad you said that because you've been very fair. There's a couple of uh, weeks ago, I think, where Kepler thought he was struck out and he got a ball, and you were actually pretty critical. So it's not like you and I are homers when we're talking about this because I actually thought the White Sox got hosed on a, quite a few pitches that were strikes, but the uh, the uh, Twins were beneficiaries of it. Well, and then in Texas, Miguel Sano had two strikes in the zone, two pitches in the zone that he took. They were called balls, not strikes, and then he hits a home run. Well, that's not right because there's a there's a huge difference between one and zero and zero and one, and there is a gargantuan difference when a hitter's standing up there and the count is two and zero as opposed to zero and two. So my hope is that they go ahead and cross that threshold and get the electronic strike zone in sooner rather than later. Speaking of the strike zone, one of the most profound things I've heard from anyone who's worked with you as the color analyst was Roy Smalley last week and Kirby Puckett, my all-time hero, right? And I love the fact because I thought he made the game better because he could hit bad balls and put them in play a lot. And and I think you remember this, Smalley said, you know, when I played with Puckett, I always thought, if I was a pitcher, I would try to walk him. Because <laughs> why would right. you ever throw in the strike zone? I thought that was one of the most profound things ever to say about one of my favorite players ever. Yeah, and then you know you, you you have players though who, again, they have the benefit of looking at pitches and establishing a strike zone. And I think there are very much fewer undisciplined hitters in the game. Eddie Rosario's maybe the best example uh, on the Twins. There there are far fewer undisciplined hitters than there used to be. And then you have at the other extreme, Luis Arise, who seems to know what. You know, from the moment the ball leaves the pitcher's hand, what the pitch is and where it's destined to end up uh, behind home plate. Uh, so yeah, it's you know there are certain hitters out there. Vladimir Guerrero was one, Kirby was one, and now Rosario was one too. Where why you would throw them a strike, I have no idea. Miguel Sano used to be that way, and that's one of the remarkable things what we've seen this year: the the increased plate discipline by Sano and what it's led to in terms of him being a threat in the box. And both ways can be effective. Rosario three hits last night, Arise three hits last night. It, you know, it just uh, That's the cool thing about baseball. There's different approaches that can work for a guy. Yeah, and last night, a real oddity. The Twins had a, what 15 hits and only one went over the fence. So we'll see if that changes tonight. This team's on the cusp of uh, breaking the major league mark for home runs hit in a season. And they won Sunday in Texas without hitting a home run and had only one last night. So maybe they'll break out tonight. Uh, final thing for you, just looking at the bullpen, I, you know, there's – I think they're getting better. I think they're kind of getting the flow that they want to. You know, they had a hiccup, and, and you know, that, that happens every once in a while, and, and you're going to see that. With the amount of runs that are being scored in Major League Baseball, though – we're not seeing those lockdown bullpens that we've seen you know, during the Royals World Series year in Cleveland, right? I mean, it's just kind of one of those things right now where people are taking advantage of these bullpens that are maybe not as sturdy. Well, and you get to the end of the year, and I think we'll see more and more of it. The bullpens relied on so much early on that at the end of the season, uh, you'll see more bullpen explosions. And I made the comment last night on TV, the Twins added, uh, Dyson and Romo to their bullpen, and I think they're both great ads. Uh, but you look at the Atlanta Braves, they added three relievers, and for most of the time since the trade deadline, they've struggled, and the Braves at this point probably regret making at least one of those trades. But, you know, it's it's a it's a problem throughout baseball when you demand or expect less from your starting pitching, and we, we've seen an ongoing trend of that in the game. There's no question about that. 
well, then that puts more strain on the bullpens. And maybe in 2019, we're starting to see some of that wear and tear. Yeah, I'm hoping that it settles down and we can get the pitching back. Because to be honest with you, these these Big, big Ten football scores, I don't like as much as a 3-2 game. It, it's getting a little bit too much. I I know the research says that people like scoring, but I like a better flow of a game with a pitcher able to deal a little bit. Well, and you know, we had a couple of relatively low-scoring close ball games on the road trip. Uh, twins winning, you know, a four-three ball game in Texas, and it's like, yeah, that those are more fun for me because those are the types of games the Twins are going to play should they make the playoffs. If they're in the playoffs and they're matched up against the Houston Astros, well, they're not going to win thirteen to four. You know, it's going to be one of those low-scoring games, and so if we're hopeful of the Twins team getting into the playoffs, the more often they can play those low-scoring games and pull them out by one or two runs, the better off they're going to be in October. Well, it should be a good one tonight. Michael Pineda back on the hill. Dick, thanks so much. Enjoy your time tonight at Target Field. You got it, Derek. The Twins wrap with Dick Bramer brought to you by Jefferson Lions here on the Mighty 790 KFGO. That wraps up Coach Potato Radio, the pregame show with Corey Provis coming up.